Hello, and welcome to another edition of Popular Podagogy, a podcast brought to you by the Faculty of Education at Queen's University. I am very excited today because we have three special guests joining us. Uh, it seems like we get more and more guests each month now, which is very exciting. And they're here from the Eastern Ontario Staff Development Network, or the EOSDN. So I'd like to introduce Eleanor Newman, Danielle Lapointe McEwen, and Tammy Villain. So welcome, everybody. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I wanted to just start off, I, I know that I have a little bit more familiarity because you all work in, in our building at, at Queen's, um, but can you give us, Eleanor, a little bit of information about EOSDN and what your goals are and what you do um, and how that relates to teaching and education? Yeah. The Eastern Ontario Staff Development Network is a network of the, na- the nine English language uh, district school boards in our region, both public and Catholic, and it has been in existence since 1989. So it's a long-standing collaboration amongst those district school boards. Um, the network... Uh, Everyone who is an employee or connected with those school boards is a a member of the network. And the network exists to um, address in a collaborative kind of way um, key questions or key needs that the district school boards feel are better looked at uh, across our region rather than or in addition to looking at it individually. So with respect to our mathematics project, every district school board, every school, every classroom is working uh, to uh, help students come uh, to make sense of mathematics. Um, but there were some larger questions that we felt could be addressed regionally uh, by bringing together the expertise from each district school board and adding expertise from researchers and just working together to think really deeply about the practice of teaching mathematics in classrooms. And so the network um, brings um, experts from the classroom, experts from districts, experts from Queens uh, together so that we can merge our our different understandings about students and how students um, learn and how the mystery of student learning uh, and come together to try to illuminate all of that so that we can really answer three um, major questions, which is what's going on in kids' heads? What are they thinking? Um, How do we learn from each other as teachers uh, who have responsibility for kids' learning? And how do we elevate our profession by adding uh, the wisdom of practice into the dialogue for uh, improving uh, teaching and learning in classrooms, right? Further advancing the fluency of our educators. So that's really what the purpose of the network is. We have other projects other than mathematics, but this podcast is about math, so I'll stop there. And I love that you gave that answer because that was very detailed and it was very uh, well outlined. But how is it that you work specifically with uh, Queens and then with the school boards and then with individual teachers to make it so it kind of all comes together? How how is it that, because that's the big mystery in, in higher education is how can we take the information that we gather and use and bring it into practice? And I think this network actually does a really good job of that. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Uh, sure. I think I think what the network provides um, is a way uh, for people to to learn together in teams. Um, so 
when the network, uh, the district school boards, determine that there is an area of focus for a project or for an initiative, um, then the network, they ask the network to design something. And so the network um, is comprised of uh, very few actual employees. It, it truly is a network. Um, so when we're asked to work on a project, then we seek out some like-minded people to work on the project with us. And so Tammy uh, often tells the story, a storyteller, of how she uh, became uh, the project coordinator. So Tammy, how did you become the project coordinator, coordinator of the math project? I like this. Eleanor's already asking questions and taking my job away. This is <laughs> She is a master at facilitation. So... Um, Thanks again for having, having me on today. Um, basically, I am a teacher with Hastings Prince Edward District School Board, and I've been teaching there since 1997. So in 2013, when the uh, project began, the OSDM math project, Eleanor had posted um, a project coordinator um, posting for the job. At that time, I was the math coordinator for our board, and I'd been for three years. So, and I was going on leave that year actually, an X over Y leave and thought, well, maybe I'll do a little extra work and apply to this interesting project. So that's how my role began in the project. And it was supposed to be a one year project actually, and uh, extended many years after. So um, I felt that in applying for that, my, my understanding of the classroom teacher perspective, as well as a math coordinator perspective, really helped to facilitate the learning and address the needs of the coordinators within the district school boards that we addressed, as well as the students. And Danielle, how did you end up with us? Well, it's a funny story, I guess, a little serendipitous. So I had just started my PhD at Queen's at the Faculty of Ed, and my supervisor at the time, Don Klinger, was the official research partner uh, for Queen's with the, with the math project. And he knew that I was really interested in professional learning, math teaching and learning, assessment, all the things that the project would be focusing on. So he asked if I wanted to be part of it. And I said, sure, having no idea what that would actually entail um, and how many incredible things would come out of it. So um, over time, because as Tammy mentioned, we thought it would be one year, but it actually ended up being six years, which has been just phenomenal. Um, over that time, my role as a research partner grew um, and, and Don actually ended up moving. So by the end, I was the lead research partner, which is cool. And by the end, I actually had a PhD, which was also really cool, <laughs> largely thanks to the educators and the network and their support of my research. Um, so I, I learned so much along the way and it was just, it was such a gift to be part of this and really unprecedented to, to be able to to as as just a, a PhD student coming up to to kind of grow up in this project and work with these amazing people and learn so much from them along the way and be able to contribute regionally as well. So what those stories reveal is how the network actually operates. So the board of directors is create is comprised of senior staff from district school boards and the board of directors brings their district school board needs um, in alignment with their board improvement and school improvement plans so they come to the you know kind of the decision making table and they determine what is an area or areas of focus that we want to work at regionally so they determine math was an area and that certainly dovetailed nicely with provincial uh, direction as well at that time but how the network works is we are very much on the ground in the sense that our goal is to influence um, student learning. 
So our goal is in classrooms with students and teachers and that process of teaching and learning. So when we create the teams that actually do the work, it's very important to us that those teams are comprised of people who are doing the work in classrooms. And so the math project uh, leaders, if you will, uh, were teacher leaders who had um, been selected in their boards to be coordinators of mathematics, but they are teacher leaders. Um, not uh, not administrators, right? They're teacher leaders who have responsibilities for program leadership in their districts. And that's why it was so important to have someone like Tammy uh, be on the core team. So the three of us here would be, I guess, what people would call the core team, but the real team is bigger because it's comprised of, of the coordinators from the different district school boards. Also, it is very important with what we do in the network that we have practice-based research-informed uh, work. And so when the network um, embarks on uh, an initiative or a project, uh, we want to be research-informed, so it's important to have research as part of it, but we also are practice-based. And we really work hard, and Danielle is the expert on the different uh, researchers or the different um, people who published uh, who talk about such things, but we really want to have that balance between research-informed and, and practice-based evidence. And we are trying to have research-informed um, research informed ideas be part of the dialogue, but we have uh, even greater respect, shall we say, for the wisdom of the classroom. Because researchers are wonderful to tell us what's been found effective, but only practitioners can tell us uh, when that is effective, in which classrooms, with which children, on which day. And so in order to actually achieve implementation, which has an impact on students, we need to have the practitioner wisdom be part of that dialogue. And that's what this project and all of the annual reports that we've provided in the monographs, um, that's what this project really illuminates. It takes the best ideas that are out there in terms of, of studies that have been done, but it adds that very important teacher and student voice saying, well, this works for me, and you know the students tell you what works and what doesn't work. You know, like students will say to you, um, you know, don't forget, I'm alive right now. That's one of my funny student stories. Is when a student asked me why we were doing something in the classroom, and I was pausing to come up with a really good answer. And he said, I know you're going to tell me I need this in my life, but don't be, you know, don't forget, I'm alive right now. And so the student voice is really important too. You know, making helping the students make sense of the teaching and learning in the classroom, and that doesn't always happen just because we bring in uh, you know the latest uh, toolkit that's been uh, you know produced or just because we you know, have the manipulatives on the table or whatever all of those things are important but it's the magic of the wisdom of the teacher that makes it happen for an individual student so the teacher voice and the research voice are absolutely critical to what we do in the network because our goal is to actually um, make things make outcomes better for kids yeah and I, I think that that's I was hoping you would answer that way because I think that's a really important part of what you're doing is that you're not just taking research and saying, oh, this is useful research to your teachers, read it. You're taking research and then you're finding ways that this can be applied. And then you're finding leaders and teachers who will, will apply it and then using that to further build on what was done originally. And I think that's such a key idea and, and a key mentality in making research beneficial to other teachers by actually putting it into practice and showing how it can be put into practice and then also using teachers in the field to give you feedback as to well this worked at this time but it didn't work at this time and um, the other thing that i really enjoy and and like about this is 
it's not one school board. It's not one area. It's not one um, school. It's across a region. And so you have a lot of different perspectives and you can see maybe something that works in Kingston that doesn't work in Prince Edward County or, or somewhere else in the region. And you can also see why. And, and so there's so much valuable information that comes from that, that I think really is important about what you're doing. And that's, that's me just monologuing about how much I really appreciate what, what you all do. So thank you for that. Uh, but I'm gonna transition now a little bit. Um, and we've alluded to it now uh, a couple of times where we've talked about um, the monograph that, that you've put out recently um, and the project that you've been working on in terms of the math project. And I loved, first of all, the branding on this was fantastic because to call students students of mystery just puts you right into a James Bond film or at least <laughs> at least an Austin Powers film because <laughs> you're, you're, that's where your mind goes immediately. But can you tell us a little bit more about what students of mystery or who students of mystery are and um, how that applies to this math project. Students of mystery uh, and other people have come up with other ways of describing uh, these students that, that may be more respectful than student of mystery. But student of mystery is a phrase that I did coin um, because in my teaching experience, in my own classroom experience, um, there always seemed to be students of mystery. And they were students who uh, were you know they they were with me they were they were not um they were not trying not to learn they were trying to learn uh they were you know participating uh, they were doing you know trying to make sense of what we were doing uh but they weren't learning and so it, it was a mystery to me because i was i was working really hard and trying all kinds of things and these students weren't learning um, it wasn't huge numbers in a classroom because in most classrooms, teachers are quite effective in bringing many, many students to learning, but there always are these students of mystery and every teacher has them in their classroom. And they are a real challenge to your sense of professional efficacy, to your sense of uh, being, you know, being the professional you want to be, and they are the ones you worry about when you go home. And so when we uh, talked about students of mystery, the first thing was we all have students of mystery. So let's just work together. Like, you know, one of us cannot be the full answer to every student that we encounter. We need to work as colleagues. We need to work um, as professionals uh, to learn with and from one another. So again, I come back to those questions. What's going on in this kid's head? Um, so these students of mystery, what are they thinking about? How do, I, how do I gain access to their mental models? How do I understand them as a learner? And what ideas do other staff members have? So it starts organically. It starts with me and my kids in my classroom, and then it grows to the staff room table where I come in and say, does anybody know anything about student X or student Y? Because I'm really having a struggle helping them learn. And then the teacher who had them last year go, oh, well, I found that this worked and whatever. So you start to have these dialogues at the staff room table where people come together to try to assist one another with the student of mystery. And we decided in our project and with our monograph that we would um, ask students and teachers to help us articulate more clearly a process uh, for making that informal helping one another around the staff room table conversation be more purposeful, more productive, and to be able to be uh, captured through documentation. And Danielle, of course, helped us uh, capture uh, a process that teachers and students told us over six years 
this is an effective protocol. This is an effective way uh, for us to collaborate professionally and to be able to assist students. Yeah, one of the things that I really loved about the student of mystery portion of the project, aside from the name, obviously, is the idea of putting together a student profile. Um, because it's it's very easy. And I remember when I was teaching, you know, we would often have informal conversations among uh, I taught in the upstairs, which is where our junior high area was, and we would have informal conversations among teachers in that area. But we never thought of going beyond our school, or if we did, it was only maybe to people that we knew who were other teachers, and we would give a very specific scenario. In this section of the, the project, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, you're creating these profiles, and then you can share that with other people who are creating other profiles and compare the profiles against each other and see what's working for one student, maybe somewhere else and see what's not working and how can you adjust. And then that's really opening it up for that collaboration. So do either Tammy or Danielle, do you want to jump in on that and see if there's anything that I missed out of that part and, and how that can really um, affect the, this project? So as Eleanor was speaking there, what was going through my mind is that um, at the beginning of our project, what we realized is that in order to address the needs of our students of mystery, we as educators need to understand the content that is being actually learned by the students. And what we were finding is that a lot of us weren't overly or not, not overly, but sometimes weren't as familiar with the math content or the conceptual understanding to address those um, needs. So that was kind of the focus of our learning for the first few years of the project. As we became more savvy with the math curriculum and our content knowledge, that led to our um, more precision around our students of mystery. We had teachers in the project across the nine um, district school boards saying like, we have these students and we know they can learn, we just don't know how to address their, their needs through their strengths. So that's what really led to the delving into the um, learner profiles and delving into the learning for all document, which really um, gives an overview of class profiles and learner profiles. But what the learner profile did for, for everyone in the project was allowed us to identify two to three students within our classrooms and really focus on what are their strengths, what are their needs, and the important piece, as Eleanor uh, alluded to as well and spoke to, it wasn't just from the teacher's perspective. The learner profile is also from the student perspective. So Nathan, you're the student, the teacher says, Nathan, so where do you feel your strengths are in math? Where are your needs? How can we help you with that? How do you learn best? So really recognizing that learner profile is a collaborative approach. It is the uh, in-school resource teacher. It could be the principal within the school. It could be the learning partner or a coach. And that's what was so, um, I guess, uh, powerful within our project is that we had steering committee meetings once a month with our project leads across the board. And they would bring their uh, teachers' learner profiles from their classrooms. And that really led to a deep collaboration and planning forward on how to address the needs. So they might identify that this is content knowledge. Our teachers need to understand more about the content that's being learned in order to address the needs of these students. So becoming very precise with our own personal learning and addressing our needs enabled us to become more precise to address the needs of our students. Mm -hmm. And being respectful of students' preferences. Absolutely. So, yeah, so 
each of us does not learn in exactly the same way. Um, and, you know, it is true that as a teacher in a classroom, I can't teach 30, you know, 30 different ways every minute. Uh, but I can differentiate so that students can access the tools and um, the methods that most fit them as a learner, right? So um, some students are really, you know, like they're expert at seeing the patterns using concrete materials. Others are expert at seeing patterns more abstractly, like moving things around in their brains or, you know, where we can't see what they're thinking. Uh, but it, it was always about trying to access and, and give students a way to show they're thinking because they're all thinking. And what you really don't want is a student to think, I can't do this, right? That, that is not the thinking that we're after in classrooms. We're after, hmm, there might be like, if I tried this, maybe it would work. Or, you know, so when we, when we hear people talking about students being more resilient in math and, and not having uh, worries about math, um, really what we're saying is we want the first response in a student's thinking about math to be, there's probably a way to figure this out. So what tools, what resources, what other person uh, who can assist me? And so the real, the real challenge in, in helping people learn is to make sure that the thinking never shuts down, that the thinking stays open. So if I'm a student, and I've discovered this as an adult, learning more and more about mathematics as an adult, that some of the ways in which I thought mathematically, my mathematical thinking as a young person did not always match the example in the textbook, did not always match what the teacher was um, predicting would be how, how students would respond to a question. And gratefully now educators are learning, you know, we're much more open uh, to different ways of students approaching um, the same problem even, right? Because they will approach it differently. There's more than one way to approach a math problem. And um, when we acknowledge more than one way, then we let all of the students and all of their different ways understand that this is good math thinking. And then we share those different strategies and everybody's enriched in the classroom from having more than one way to tackle a problem because the next problem that comes up or the problem that comes up in grade 11 may require a type of thinking that is not my natural way of thinking and if I've had the example of other students and the example of multiple ways of looking at a problem then I'm better equipped for you know the higher math if you will you know high school math and I think that Elner speaks to as uh, from a teacher perspective that we are more open to different uh, um, solutions speaks to our comfort level with the content knowledge. So we are comfortable with saying, okay, I see your strategy or saying, I don't understand. And this is where the student voice comes in. So really important as teachers, we're allowing a lot more student voice in our classrooms, allowing students to voice their strategies so we can understand and not only, you know, basically teach our comfortable strategy, if that makes sense. And to build on that too, um, also a broadening of our approaches and how we assess student learning in math. Mm -hmm. So that really happened over time. So while our first three years of the project were really about educator learning, in our final three years of the project, we were really focusing on student learning and largely how do we assess that and leveraging those observations, conversations, demonstrations, as well as product. Um, so kind of moving beyond traditional ways of assessing student learning um, and then um, using different approaches, 
uh, which we'll, I'm sure, talk about uh, in relation to developmental continua as well. So instead of just assessing students in relation to curriculum um, objectives, which of course we did as well, um, looking at their, their thinking and their learning developmentally, which became really, really important for those students of mystery, especially. Mm -hmm. and, and all of that talks about um, understanding and respecting the students' way of making sense of math. So when, when a student um, is struggling, um, when you listen hard, what they're really saying to you is, this doesn't make sense. Right? This doesn't make sense to me yet. And so when something doesn't make sense, then it's not possible for that something, that bit of content or that bit of understanding, it's not possible for that to go into long-term storage in your brain. It doesn't make sense. All that goes in is like math is hard. It's confusing. I don't get it, you know, and these are not messages that are helpful to kids or, you know, or to society. Right. So the idea is, is to be help the student develop those concepts to understand the schema behind math. And sometimes, uh, you know, if we just teach if we just teach bits of content and we don't have the dialogue, we don't have the conversation, we don't talk about how this math connects with that math and, and how we're building these conceptual webs. Uh, like conceptual understanding is, is like key uh, to students being math thinkers in, you know, over the long haul. Um, one of the things that we discovered very early on and students taught us this, uh, was that the math processes that are identified in the curriculum are absolutely necessary. You cannot learn math content unless you are working through math processes, taking that content through the math processes. So while the result of several opportunities to learn math can be automaticity and understanding certain things like this, the process of going through that is what puts it into your brain in a way that you can access it quickly and know when to access it, right? So when I'm learning a piece of content, I need to be able to problem solve around that content. I need to be able to communicate my thinking around that. I need to be able to represent my thinking um, in different formats. I need to be able to um, be able to reason and, ex and explain why this is a solution that makes sense given the data that I had. So all of those processes are really important to developing that schema that then is like file drawers of math that are available to you when you tackle you know, other questions. And so not only do you have the file drawers full of math, you also know which drawer to open for this particular problem because you have a schematic in your brain. So students taught us that in order for math to make sense, we had to name the concepts like to be able to notice a name and that actually is a phrase that's in our assessment document which is why Danielle's comment about assessment triggered this little dialogue um, because if we don't if we don't notice a name what the the aha moment that the student just had in their brain then we miss the opportunity for them to have a a, a category for that and to be able to access it later right so I could be really good at math every single day in my classroom Right. Every single day as a kid, I could be really good and get all right answers on everything and not understand a thing. That could happen unless my teacher is skilled and most teachers are very skilled at doing this, uh, at being able to get the aha, understand what the kid just had an aha, be able to name it. So that was back to Tammy's comments about feeling comfortable. Um, with those large, those math big ideas. Like we spend a lot of time on a math big idea, which is really critical to higher mathematics, called 
call proportional reasoning. We spend a lot of time on number sense, which is understanding how we codify ideas in math by using symbols and numbers and that kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, so it, it's, uh, yeah, the assessment, um, the assessment is not a grade. The assessment is not putting a mark on something. The assessment is having really good eyes and really good ears in the classroom, watching the kid while they're thinking and be able to figure out, ah, they just got it. Sometimes they'll say, I got it, you know, which makes it pretty obvious. Sometimes they won't. You have to figure out that they got it. But being able in that moment to say, this is what you just understood. This is so exciting because this is a big math idea. But that only happens if kids are doing mathematics. Right, not yeah. just receiving mathematics, but doing mathematics. So recognizing that the teacher is a facilitator. The teacher's a facilitator of learning. So as students are learning, and as Danielle and Eleanor have mentioned the assessment piece, it's asking the right questions. So tell me more about your thinking. Can you add on to your thinking? So, and making connections for those, for those students, like the role of the teacher has changed, right? We are the facilitator now, which means we need to have the knowledge, but also know the right questions to ask so we can understand our student learning. And this is probably a good time to point out that over the course of our six years, we had thousands of teachers, of educators who work in classrooms be part of our project. So, you know, we're here sharing uh, what they taught us. Right. So, again, uh, the project is very organic in that it's rooted in, I don't know, Danielle, you might want to talk about the nested model, but it's rooted in, in, in the classroom. And so the voices from the classroom have taught us uh, what we needed to understand in order to work the magic, you know, the magic that happens um, when, uh, you know, a teacher and a student or a student and other students uh, come to an aha or come to a realization that this part of math makes sense. So I'm really glad that we got to the assessment portion of this because it sounds like that's a really strong part of this project. And one of the things that I think uh, just listening to the three of you that comes out is that it's not just assessment from the teacher to the student. A lot of it is assessment that the student is doing themselves but that's not easy to get to and that's not an easy portion of learning for a lot of students and so creating that environment and creating that culture and creating a space that they feel comfortable coming out and self-assessing and saying i'm not understanding this or you know i i'm having trouble doing it this way would i be able to try doing it this way or even saying i i think that i would do better if i was doing something in a different way and and being able to express that and talk to the teacher in that way and then having the teacher have the content knowledge and assess themselves and do their own self-assessment to be able to say, okay, maybe this is my, and you know, in, in teaching, we call that reflection uh, because that's, that's the, the big topic in teaching is always reflecting on your own learning, but it's, it's really important if you're, if you have the content knowledge, but you're not teaching it in a way that's going to reach those students, then you have to adjust and, and reflect there. Um, so we're going to take a little bit of a break right now, but we'll be right back with more popular podagogy. Are you an occasional teacher looking to improve your job prospects? Are you an experienced teacher trying to reach the next pay scale? Are you interested in improving your overall teaching practice? Queen's Continuing Teacher Education has you covered. With easy-to-access online courses, you can log on to your course from anywhere you have access to the internet. 
courses offered by CTE range from special education to technological education to safe and accepting schools. Queen's CTE courses work with your schedule, have supportive, expert instructors that want to help you succeed. Registration is fast and easy with no commitment to pay until the Friday before the course starts. What are you waiting for? Visit coursesforteachers.ca for more information or to sign up today. That's coursesforteachers.ca. And we're back with our core team from the EOSDN. Uh, and we have been talking about uh, a mathematics monograph and students of mystery that they have put out. And a big part of that is looking at the Casmet uh, visual map. Uh, so can Tammy, can you explain a little bit more about Casmet and what that, that is and how that affects this project? Okay, so what I'm going to do is share with you the process for focusing on our students of mystery um, and how the Casmet was integrated within that process. And then I'm gonna pass it over to Danielle and she's going to give you further detail as to what the Casmet means and what it looks like. Um, so first of all, in the project, each teacher who was involved was asked to identify two to three students of mystery within their classroom. Once they had done that, they developed a learner profile for each of their students of mystery. So as was mentioned earlier, taking a look at the student's strengths, their needs, talking to other um, staff, whether it was the ICERT, the principal, previous teachers, the student themselves, parents, to develop that learner profile to get to know them much better. Um, then the teacher implemented a given task with each student of mystery. And this was done one-on-one -on -one through questioning, observing, and recording everything that student was doing to answer the question to understand their thinking. The teachers then collaboratively used the CASMIT to know their students and plan with precision. So they analyze student answers. They would then plan forward, implement instructional strategies to address the needs of the students through their strengths. Once they had done this, they would reflect on the student and learning or educator learning and plan forward. And so as they move forward, they would implement a second task, implement the CASMIT again, and reflect on the student's learning growth. So I'm gonna pass it over to Danielle now to explain a little bit more about the CASMIT process and the data collection. Right, so, so in our sixth year of the project, um, we, we were uh, facilitating virtual regional sessions and then our school teams were working uh, with teachers face-to-face. -face. So, um, so because of that, we had to be a little bit tighter in our, in our process for the sixth year. And that largely led to this pre-post uh, common task that Students in Mystery completed and analyzing those common tasks using the CASMET protocol in conjunction with developmental continuous. So, so going to that virtual regional session model actually allowed us to collect this regional data that elucidated uh, changes in students of mysteries math thinking over a really short period of time. So we, we had a condensed project in our sixth year. We only had three months um, from the pre to the post task that students completed. So that was three months where teachers were learning, implementing new things with students, and then implementing the pre-post tasks and assessing students' thinking and math using CASMIT protocol. 
and the developmental continua. And we found regionally at the end of that three month period that 42% of our students of mystery showed growth in one or more phases of math thinking. So that was pretty exciting and pretty significant because these were the students that were struggling in math. These are the students that the teachers identified at the beginning of the three month period to say, you know, I'm, I'm having trouble reaching these students, um, whether they had identified learning disabilities or not. These were kids that were struggling with math that after a three month period and using CASMA protocol um, to, to elucidate change in their thinking, we saw growth in, in uh, almost half of those kids. So that's pretty exciting and I think really speaks to the effectiveness of the process that we share in the monograph um, and, uh, and that's a big reason why we're here today because we want to share that process with others because it's something that people could replicate in their own context with maybe some modifications but, but certainly it's a process that teachers and school teams can use to support students in mystery and math. The thing that make has met I think um, very effective uh, with teachers and the reason that so many of the teachers said this is like a game changer for us right is that the C stands for collaborative so you do this analysis in the company of colleagues um, the A stands obviously for analysis um, the S and the M and the T are student math thinking so a decade ago uh, we would come together to moderate student work and we would bring products of student work and we come together to look at just the pieces of paper and we would try to figure out from the pieces of papers what kids were thinking. CASMIT is different because it was set up so that we were actually observing, having, uh, asking kids to tell us their thinking in process while they were working on the math problem and also the piece of paper that showed their thinking on paper. So the analysis of student math thinking went well beyond a product. It was the process of thinking, it was the conversation, it was the observation of the teacher, which is why um, the student of mystery approach is so effective because we're, we're talking about selecting a few students and using this process. What we learn from that process, we then can use with all students. So it's not just that we're, you know, these are the only three that are benefiting. Many students benefit from the teachers going through this process, but we're only asking the teachers to focus on three students so that we can fully use the cycle so that it becomes part of our professional repertoire of strategies and ways of thinking, right? So. And, and that's, I, I referred to it when we started and when I asked the question is the Kazmit visual map. And the reason for that is in the monograph, you have this beautiful picture at the bottom that shows how this all comes together. And mm -hmm. it's a nice mind map and it's very visual. And I highly encourage anyone who's listening to go and check out the monograph and see it um, because it, it outlines the protocol nicely, but then there's an actual visual of how it all goes into effect. And it's, it, it works really well, especially for people like me who need to see how it, it goes, goes in yeah. order that way. Um, but you can really see um, how you're building on the strengths of the students and the needs of the students and that learner profile that we talk about or that we talked about with the student of mystery and how you're using that to to bring uh, what they can do to what they they need to do. And so um, that's why I think that's that's really uh, useful. So speaking of the monograph, right. um, we need to to let the people know where they can find this magical document. So um, yeah, I can fill you in on that. So one of the things you asked, the first question you asked was about the network. One of the things that's also true about the network is we don't hoard what we learn. 
we share. And so the network has a website, www.eosdn.ca. So it's if you just Google EOSDN or Eastern Ontario Staff Development Network, it'll take you to our, our homepage. And then on the homepage, there are initiatives. And one of the initiatives is closing the gap in math. And under that category, you'll find the annual developmental evaluation research reports that uh, Danielle created for us based on uh, the surveys and the input from the teachers and the students and the, the team leads that were participating. And you will also find the most recent monograph, which we've been talking about today from April 2020. You will also find a monograph that we did following our first three years, um, which talks about um, adult learning in relation, like the teacher educator learning in relation to the project. Yeah, and I think as well, if, you, if you're on the Faculty of Education website at Queen's or on our Continuing Teacher Education website, there's links out to your website too. So Absolutely. if you're familiar, more familiar with those websites, you can also find your way to the EOSDN website that way. Um, yeah. I, I'd like to, to thank all three of you, uh, Eleanor, Danielle, and Tammy, for, for coming on today. We definitely need to do this again. And I'd also like to thank our producer, Josh. He is always the magician behind the scenes that puts this all together. So a big shout out to him. If you have not yet already done so, please subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, or Google Play. Um, you can also find us on the Faculty of Education or the CFRC website at Queen's University. And that'll do it for another episode of Popular Podagogy. So thank you for listening.